Hey everybody, Summer Terry here. And on this episode of May the Horse Be With You, I have Sierra Crawford, who is the founder and owner of Sozo Equine. And she's also an occupational therapist for people. So I thought this was going to be a great opportunity to have somebody that kind of is like-minded like myself, where we've grown up in the horse industry and started our careers in the human industry and then have been able to cross those skills over into helping horses. So welcome to the podcast, Sierra. Thank you for having me here, Summer. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you do. So I am an occupational therapist in the human world, and I work in outpatient orthopedics, and I specialize in the upper extremities. So kind of a misnomer, um, those who specialize in the upper extremities are called hand specialists, and I work in a hand clinic, but we do treat the entire upper extremity. Um, so that's what I do with people and on horses through Sozo Equine. I do massage. Um, myofascial release sort of is my area that I do the most often my specialty and the kinesiology taping. So I, I just love the body. I'm fascinated by it. And so I love that I get to work on both humans and horses. Well, and I think one of the things that's really interesting that, you know, has kind of evolved in the last, well, I don't know, really like few years on the human side is like the development. Well, I don't want to say the development, the acknowledgement of how important fascia is in the body. Well, yes. and to some degree, the existence of it, you know, like I feel like on the orthopedic side for the longest time, they didn't necessarily believe that fascia existed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, still, it's still sort of this, like some people kind of raise their eyebrow at it. Like, no, like, let's just heal that bone and we'll be fine. So it's cool. It's cool. Sort of the time that I'm in this profession to see it start to grow. People start to acknowledge the reality of it. Um, it's just a cool time to be in this field. Yeah. And so um, let's talk about fascia, you know, because I, I feel like as body workers, I mean, it kind of encompasses everything, you know, in, in the taping and, you know, even even us as riders, um, you know, like how how the tension in our fascia will kind of translate and, and go into the way the horse moves as well. Yeah. So fascia is this. Um, pretty densely packed tissue. It's mostly made up of collagen and water. Um, and it encases and surrounds everything. And it both encases everything and separates everything. And so I like to use an orange to sort of explain that basic analogy to people. So you can take the peel off of the orange and that orange is still round and it still maintains its shape. But then you can separate that orange into individual slices and those slices maintain their shape. And then you can separate that down into individual pieces of pulp. So your body is encased in fascia all the way down to the cellular level, our bones, groups of muscles, individual muscles. And so ignoring that is you really can't treat the entire body by ignoring that. Another analogy, I have lots of fun analogies for fascia. I think those are great to learn with, though. That's what I, I love analogies. Yeah, I like to think of muscle in fascia the same way that play-doh would be in a ziploc baggie so no matter how pliable that play-doh is it will not expand beyond that ziploc baggie so if the muscle is living inside the fascia and you have fascial restrictions it doesn't matter what you do to create more pliability in that muscle if there's no glide in the fascia and that fascia is not allowing it to move so because the fascia is an entire system 
of the entire body. It's all connected, all works together. Again, another analogy, it's like a sweater. And if you get a snag in your sweater and you just pull on that snag, it pulls from all other areas of the body. It's not just focusing on that one spot. So especially a horse who is a prey animal and just their natural instinct is to hide any injury they might have because they'll get eaten by a lion in the wild, right? They are great at covering up an injury and they're great at compensating because that's what they're created to do. And they have four legs to do it on compared to R2. So because of this fascial system, they are really good at hiding what's hurting. And so ignoring that really makes it impossible to be an effective, um, you know, whatever you are, body worker, rehab specialist, and just not recognizing that there's an entire system that sort of, if we turn the horse inside out and look at them as a bunch of sacks of fascia that is full of muscles, and holds up this structure of bones. That to me is how I look at a horse. And yeah, it is super new. You know, a fascia was just recognized in the human world in 2007. I mean, it was just given definition in the equine world in 2007. So that's 14 years ago. I'm not very good at math, but I can do that one. Right. Um, and then these fascial lines were dissected in the human horses in 2015. These Dutch veterinarians dissected these fascial lines. I mean, that was only six years ago. Like, we're on the brink of something really cool. So it's really, really exciting to me to think about what's going to happen in the next 10 years, in the next 14 years, the next 20 years, because I think we'll come on to some really incredible things. And so when you're talking about fascial lines, uh, you're talking about the different chains and the different areas that the fashion runs, correct? Correct. So Thomas Myers is the one that basically founded these in the humans, and he has a book called Anatomy Trains, and so it looks at these specific connections in the body, and these are not like, these are not like energy lines, these are not conceptual, these are real structures of fascia that were dissected in the body, and so it's just this complete chain, yeah, it's like this long piece of tissue <clears throat> that connects certain um, structures in the body. So the most commonly known fascial line in the horse body is the superficial dorsal line. And it starts up in front of their eye. It runs all along the very top of their um, nuchal ligament, along the top of their back, the top of their butt, and runs all the way down and inserts on that coffin bone. So it's literally connecting the head to the foot. And that's just one line. But that one is sort of, sort of explains, you know, how back pain is correlated with hawk pain and those sorts of things. So these are structures that were dissected um, and are, are real structures in the body that literally tie it all together. So they're, they're pretty fascinating. Well, and, and going even to like, you know, talking about having surgery done, like, you know, for example, with that, you know, that's part of the reason that I think the body work portion of your kissing spine rehab is so important you know, whenever we get these horses in, if you, you know, get a horse into our rehab that maybe has six months ago had kissing spine surgery, we have to go in and be able to break that scar tissue down that's yeah. already been there and it's, you know, kind of established versus getting one in kind of directly after surgery where we can kind of go to work with some of our equipment and trying to prevent that buildup of scar tissue. Because what I see on those horses, and, and I always explain that to my owners, you know, like I will take and have them um, just put their hand on the spine of the horse and just rock that skin back and forth and feel the glide oh. of that fascia. And then 
you can feel without even looking where you're going. You can feel when you hit that scar because then it just sticks. Um, and, you know, you, you have to think like, okay, we're putting a saddle over that. You know, like this, this part of the fascia doesn't glide anymore. And then you stick a saddle and a rider on top of it. Um, and then add in, you know, your, your nerve damage and your things that you're going to have that are unavoidable from surgery. And, and so then you see these horses that, um, but we actually had a really great example that we had a horse that was in, um, a couple months ago that had, had, um, had surgery back in the fall. And the first day that we went to start him on the tread, um, one of my interns went to pick up his front foot and he immediately just set back. Like he was fine with one front foot and the other front foot, he just like wow. recoiled and set back. And, and it kind of took her by surprise because he was such a docile horse. And I told her, I was like, stretch him and see how he moves. Well, what we realized was there was a hangout there um, coming down into that front leg. And so, you know, we, we did a bunch of release, did a bunch of stretching. And, you know, after a couple of days, we never had any more trouble cleaning his feet. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, I think it was just one of those things. It just was, there was a little bit of scar tissue there. Yeah. And fascia has an effect called the thixotropic effect. And that means that the more compressive force, whether that's compression or decompression, um, we can affect the fascia. And so it makes it more pliable. It creates more glide. Um, compression, you can sort of treat the sponge, treat the fascia like a sponge. And mm -hmm. you can sort of drain um, the fluid that's in the fascia. And then whenever you release, it's a long hold, um, like two to three minutes. And then when you release, the fascia will sort of like, rehydrate super quick it's like the release of the compression it's all flushes back in and you can create some glide so using that thixotropic effects like there is science that says we can change fascia i know mm -hmm. it's sort of understood that we can't and it's it's stiff and it's bound and it is what it is but um we affect change so fibroblasts are the cells um that create the collagen and so whenever they make the triple collagen, which is what it's called before it turns into collagen, it's basically taking an assessment of the compression and the decompression forces every 60 seconds. And then it converts to collagen either if there's no forces telling it what to do and giving it a new direction, it creates sort of this spider web matted up structure and your fascia gets sticky. But if you're using these forces, whether that's exercise or stretching or whatever it is that you're using to put these forces on the fascia, your collagen unwinds and lays down in this pretty smooth pattern so that we get this beautiful glide. And so it's, it's nice to know that there's science that says we are changing fascia. And so stories like that, like that horse that you worked on, um, having an exact example helps people see that too. And that's awesome. How many times do you think fascia gets mistaken for muscle issue? You know, because I mean, we know, the strongest part of the muscle is, is the origin and the, and the belly of the muscle. So, you know, you rarely have tears that are, that are on the origin or, or the belly, unless it's a trauma, you know, most of your tears happen in your insertion point um, because that's where it's the most flexible and it's the most in uh, and, and the weakest. But um, how many times do you think that weak muscle gets the blame for over tight fascia? or restriction because if you have a restriction in one area you're going to cause yeah. a weakness in the other i mean not to say every single time but i think it's a lot um i think it's a lot a lot you know the fascia that's encasing the muscle 
turns into that distal insertion um, tendon. And so if we don't have any pliability where it's surrounding the muscle, we're not going to have any pliability at that distal insertion. So, you know, I don't want to say all the time, but I think it's a darn lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Well, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, what do we do to remedy fascia? And feel free to talk um, on the human side as well as the horse side, because like I said, I think it's important. Um, And another thing that I think that people don't think about too is, um, if you have tension in yourself, um, well, okay. For instance, um, I have both of my mares have primary SI issues. Um, and you know, that's one thing that Dr. Crosby said, he's like, it is really rare that you have a horse that has a primary SI. He said, mm-hmm. and you have two of them. And I told him, I said, I know why it is. I said, because, you know, you before having my hips replaced and all of that, um, my right hip was always the worst and I had my stirrup shorter on that side because that leg has always been a little bit shorter. Um, and, and I'm like, they mirror, you know, I created this issue with my horses because they were mirroring my issues. Right. And you were talking about that horse with kissing signs. You know, you put a saddle on there and a, a person on there, that person's got their own issues. No matter what person you put up there they're likely imbalanced and to put that imbalanced person on top of that imbalanced horse is not going to lead you, you know, to where you want to go, I'm sure. Right. And so what can we do as riders to better ourselves and better our horses? The most practical thing I love to tell riders to do is yoga. Um, Anytime you're affecting your fascia, it needs to be sustained Sustained pressure, sustained movements. Um, so I do myofascial release in my practice. It's what I tend to do, even if I go just to do a basic massage, I tend to follow the myofascial release because the fascia is such a critical component. And the thing with myofascial release is they um, are long, slow holds. It's boring and it looks like you're not doing anything to an owner. Um, but the important thing is when you're doing a maneuver um, on on a specific muscle or fascia or whatever area you're doing, you can't talk to the spindle fibers. So the spindle fibers are what lives inside the muscle that tells that muscle to contract. And so if you push with too much force too quickly, then that muscle's contracting. And if the muscle's contracting, it's not relaxing. Mm-hmm. So if it's not relaxing, then you're not getting that melt. That's your goal. You know, you want your fascia to sort of melt. You want those collagen fibers to, to flatten out and to line up so that we get glide. So the thing with myofascial release is you'll hold something for two to three minutes, both in people and horses. Mm-hmm. You'll hold something for two to three minutes and you're very, very slowly adding pressure because you don't want to talk to the spindle fibers in the muscle. You need everything to stay relaxed. And so it's a prolonged low load stretch. If I'm ever going to stretch, I want it to be two or 10 out of 10, two or three out of 10 stretch with humans can tell you that horses can't tell you that, but you want it to be way low pressure. We don't want any contraction. And so allowing that to melt, holding it long enough that you can, can get into that fixotropic effect um, and allowing that to relax hydration, making sure that you drink lots of water, people, making sure that your horse has lots of water, um, giving them some salt to help them drink. Um, but for riders, like I said, I love yoga, um, keeping everything balanced, trying to stay as symmetrical as you can, um, holding those stretches, creating length, creating stability um, is the best thing you can do for your horse. 
And with stuff like that and stretching with us, you know, it's like I tell everybody it's got to be slow and in control. It takes a lot more body stability and it takes a lot more effort from your body to do something that requires a ton of control. And, you know, I feel like that's why, you know, 10 years ago, you didn't see so many professional athletes that were interested in yoga. Um, And now you've started to see kind of an influx of of them seeking out movement-based exercise. Um, Because just having that stability muscle strong in the body is going to offload the joints and, you know, keep everything stronger. And so what, what are some other differences in like myofascial release and, and regular massage? So to me, regular massage more addresses like the trigger points and moves a little faster. Um, so you, you know, you warm up the muscle and then you find that trigger point, you release the trigger point, and then you sort of rub out the muscle just because you don't want it to get sore. And you move through the body pretty quickly. You don't really stay anywhere. Um, and the myofascial release more is, like I said, it's that slow hold. You find um, you find your sweet spots and you hang out there for like three minutes. And a lot of times that horse will start to settle in, um, start to pull on you because they want more. They will start to lean into you because they want more. Um, and so basically for, from the layman's perspective, it's a lot slower process. Um, and like I said, the... The massage schools that I've been to basically kind of treat the trigger point and then you just kind of keep moving compared to the myofascial release is is a long, slow hold. And you sort of find those certain spots that are your snag and your sweater mm-hmm. and you release those. And then you, you don't move through the entire force in one treatment session. You just find those snags. And the next time you come back and you see what are we working with? So instead of treating the whole horse, you're treating the problem which will balance out the whole horse. Okay. So how long does a session like that last um, on a human or a horse? So in a human, we are very restricted because of the setting. It is um, 40 minutes is how long we have to treat them, Um, which if you're just treating an arm, that's completely possible. But on a horse, um, I say 60 minutes, it tends to be 90 And then I tape on top of that. So I'm usually about two hours on a session with a horse. Okay. So then let's, let's break into the taping. Um, How does it, how does it complement the other therapies that you do? And then kind of give us a little bit of the background on the equine taping. So the basic explanation of what the tape does is it sticks to the hair, it lifts the hair and it lifts the dermal layer. So whenever you put some stress on that tape, you stick it on the hair, and then that tape recoils back towards um, the middle or the origin, depending on how you place it. Then it creates these tiny little, <clears throat> these tiny little microwaves, and that lifts the skin in these microwaves, and those are called convolutions. And when you create that, you are decompressing everything that's underneath. So you're decompressing the fascia, you're decompressing the lymphatic system, you're decompressing those pain receptors. Um, you are decompressing the muscle that's underneath there. So that's the very basic explanation of, of what the tape does. And so you never just want to put tape on a horse. Um, I prefer to do it after a myofascial release session because you want to release the problem before you just tape the problem. So you want to find balance and then you put the tape 
where it's needed, where it's necessary to support the work that you just did. Um, so tape, again, pretty new. Um, kinesiology tape was founded in the 70s. There was a, a chiropractor in Japan that wanted to find something that he could give his patients in between his sessions with him. So he started trying several things and all of the other tapes were restrictive and so was born kinesiology tape. And so it is flexible, it is not restrict range of motion, um, but it still gives support and stabilization. So it was born in the 70s. It sort of gains traction every time the Olympics come around. That, that's what I was going to say. That's the first time, that, the first place that I remember seeing it was yeah. on like your gymnast and your ice skaters primarily was where I remember seeing it first. And of course, they would usually always do a pretty flesh toned. So you would look and think, what is on that person? And, yeah. and then you would realize, oh, it's a tape of some kind. Uh -huh. Um and then and it, you started to see it, I feel like, more in like your NBA and, and things like that. Like it started to gain popularity there. Yeah. And then, uh, oh my gosh, why am I forgetting her name? The two volleyball, huge volleyball players went to the Olympics like eight trillion times. Um, Misty and Carrie. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Carrie is the one. She's sort of, I don't know why, I think it was the 2004 Olympics. Um kind of exploded then because of her but anyways like I said it always sort of becomes a big deal around the Olympics and so um then it started gaining traction in the rehab world and the medical world and people started seeing you know what it's capable of of doing and so for me one of like I guess kind I always believed in tape and I had an entire course on it in my master's program and I always thought like cool that's a great modality but I didn't really really fall in love with it until we have this wave of, seems like whatever you have, whatever diagnosis it is, it comes in waves. And we have this wave of people in the hand clinic with this diagnosis called CRPS. It's complex regional pain syndrome. Um, it's the newer name. They used to call it RSD. Basically, doctors don't, nobody really knows what causes it, where it comes from, why it's still here. And it can be any injury. I mean, somebody could fall on the ice and break their wrist, your basic wrist fracture develop this complex regional pain syndrome and it completely controls their entire life. They have insane pain levels that is not consistent with their injury. And it often turns into this really big life altering deal. Mm -hmm. So we started just putting this fascia release pattern on these people. I mean, doctors were like, we don't know what to do. A lot of times they have to do a ganglion block. Um, we were like, we don't know what to do. So we started doing this fascia release pattern on these people and they could live their lives. And it was amazing. And just teaching these people, like, buy this roll of tape for $20. You can change your life. And you mm -hmm. just put this on every time it falls off. And so for me, that's when I was like, okay, what? Like, there's something here. Like, this is this is something. We got to do something with this. And so I've gone on a rabbit trail, and I don't even remember your question. But basically, um, I've, I've really seen it do some really incredible things. And so I got into taping horses. Just like I said, I always had horses and was always super fascinated with the body. So right. the horse needed, needed some tape. I didn't, you know, we had, he had some atrophy in his glute. And my, my vet had said, you know, do these exercises and work on that atrophy. And maybe you can get that balanced out. But if not, it's not the end of the world. You know, we fixed the problem. And I'm like, he needs tape. And so I just Googled, like, kinesiology tape for horses and I, I guess I didn't look very hard, but I couldn't find anything instructional at that time. So I just put some tape on him and did what I knew how to do from my human perspective. And 
Yeah, I, I feel like the taping in the horse. I feel like the taping the horse deal has been something that's really been about the last three years that's has just kind asked. of exploded. Yeah, that's what you asked. So it crossed over into into the horse or into the horse and dog and just animal world early two thousands. But yeah, really just the last like five years it started to gain some traction, and I think it's going to be a snowball effect. I think. I think that people still are pretty skeptical of it because they're like, what is tape on my horse going to do? But I think as more people start using it, even more will. And I think it'll be the snowball effect as people see what it's really capable of. And the thing for me is hope. Like, I think people, when there's an injury and, you know, when you spend $15,000 on your horse and you feel like I don't have any money to do anything else for this horse. I mean, we all know when we felt hopeless and you can be like, I will teach you this application. You can buy this $20 roll of tape and you can do this. Like you don't have to buy the $15,000 PEMF machine and all of those things completely have their spot. But I think it's that glimmer of hope for people that are like, wow, like I can apply this. I can buy a $20 roll of tape and there's hope that there's something that this can do to help my horse feel better. Or I can put this tape on them and they're not in so much pain. And so that's, that's what it is for me that I think I find so much joy in it, especially in the teaching side. Right. No, I, I agree completely. And it's not that it's a substitute for a vet. It's not that it's a That's substitute for, for, for a professional. It's how do you yeah. maintain in between those treatments? Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm going to wind down this first section here and then we will be back in just a minute with our next section. All right. So welcome back, everybody. Um, we're starting our second section here where we were going to talk a little bit more about taping and, you know, like, I, I feel like it's one of those things that I get a lot of people asking about the taping. And to be honest, I don't have a lot of experience myself with it. Um, I'm one of the, like, unfortunate individuals that's allergic to adhesive. So, you know, like, I love being able to try things on myself. And so, like, if I do have anything taped, I can't wear it for very long. And I have trouble wearing it in the heat of the summer. So, you know, that's where I think it's awesome to be able to interview people that have a lot more experience with it than I do. Because I remember one of the first things that like, I was really starting to study was um, several years ago when the Thunder basketball team was in the playoffs. Um, Steven Adams had sprained his thumb and I watched the progression of how they taped that hand because they didn't want to, you know, obviously they didn't want to have him in a stiff brace because it was his shooting hand. And, you know, it's like I watch people on social media go, oh, it's just a thumb. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal to hit your thumb. And I'm thinking you have never had a thumb injury because you almost lose the whole use of your hand whenever your thumb is affected because you just don't realize how thankful we are for having opposable thumbs until you don't have them. You know, because right. like I watched him struggle through that finals of having trouble catching the ball, having tr- and like you could see the pain radiate up. And what I thought was interesting was they didn't just tape the thumb. You know, they would tape at one point they had him taped all the way to the shoulder and they uh-huh. had tape on on his traps. They had it down in the back of the shoulder where they were trying to correct that entire limb or give that limb as much structure as possible to get him through playing the game. And and so that kind of reminds me of like whenever I see the tapings on the horses where where you have the whole leg rather than just, you know, the suspensory that's issue. Mm-hmm. 
and back to that compensation pattern we were talking about um you know horses can compensate better than humans and so if they have an abscess on their front left where's all the where's all that weight going i mean what's their right shoulder doing what's their si doing so mm-hmm. and, it, and with humans it's cool to see how the entire it's a lot of times it goes back to the nerves and so to see that neural tension um just from him being so tight and protected i mean we interact with the entire world around us with our hands mm-hmm. and our thumbs. I mean, that's what makes us different from every other living being is we have opposable thumbs. Yes. And so the tension up that nerve all the way up into your shoulder and into your neck, you can get some relief for two hours and play a basketball game and get through the finals. That's a big deal. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's one of those things too, like, of course, you know, I, I love Steven Adams. He's like one of my favorite players, but I yeah. also can't imagine the the impact in that concussion of having to catch that ball yeah on that thumb that's already sprained um so and i think watching social media people don't realize the athleticism and they don't realize what it takes to be an athlete and i think likewise they don't um i don't want to say they don't appreciate i i think they don't understand how physically demanding what we ask of these horses is you know yes i feel like they were they were definitely designed to be ridden and they were designed for the purpose that 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 we're using them for but at the same time it's a huge workload that we ask of them yeah and they were designed to be ridden but they weren't designed to turn you know three barrels in 15 seconds so they weren't designed to fly out of a box and stop in five seconds or right exactly they were designed to be able to sprint away from danger and so the things we ask of them you know that's something that well that's not natural right you know any any treatment modality you want to bring up i'm like right but what you're doing to that horse isn't natural either i mean we don't have them in their natural nothing about what we do with the horse is natural so um it's cool to have an option that is is relatively low profile one of the things people ask if they can, you know, wear suspensory or fetlock or flexor or extensor, any of those lower leg supports under boots. Absolutely. Please do learn how to do it. And every single time you compete, have that tape on because those sport boots are wearing out faster than anybody's replacing them. Yes. And there's just a lot of things that we can do um, to protect them because we're asking them to do something that's not normal. So there are um, the support applications I just talked about, you know, your fetlocks, um, if you are protecting your flexors or your extensors, if you have a horse that's not breaking over well, maybe it's a top and joint pathology or a navicular pathology, um, you can support those extensors so that they can get out of the ground and break over faster. Um, there are hot stabilizations, cycle stabilization. I mean, you name the joint, you can stabilize it with some tape and it does not restrict any range of motion. Um, you can help to support tight muscles recovery so if you're going to a you know a five-day event and that horse is going to get tired on day you know three um just putting some circulation applications on those muscles to help them recover to help that horse be able to feel better faster and to be able to keep doing um what they want to do and what you're asking them to do so there are so many options for the tape um it's really cool and the thing i love about um teaching people my classes at the end i always throw this case at them and they're like what you didn't teach me how to tape that case and i'm like i did but i want you to think like Mm -hmm. use google look something up like figure out what that word means 
Well, I don't know where that's lo located. Google, find an anatomy book, find an anatomy app. So I love teaching people. I say, I give you these applications and these are your words. And you go make sentences. You go think critically. You use the, the knowledge of the anatomy. You use the knowledge of what you know how to do. You can do really amazing things. You can. You just have to think critically, which you're completely capable of. Right. And so once you have your basics of the tape, you can, I mean, the sky is the limit. And so what's the difference in talking about like a stabilizing application with the tape or like a support application versus um, using like a vet wrap or like using an athletic tape? So those are restricting your range of motion. That's the main difference. So the, the tape is more flexible and it can expand over 100% of its length. And so it's not going to restrict any of your range of motion if it's around a joint. Okay. Is there any risk of it trapping heat? Like if you're if you're taping suspensories or anything like that, like is there any contraindications with it? There are contraindications. Um, it's not with trapping heat. Um, it's made of a, a woven cotton blend, and so it allows it's breathable and it doesn't trap the heat in. Um, some of the contraindications are like kidney disease; they can't handle that much fluid moving through their body. Um, infection: you never tape over an active infection. Um, you never tape over an open wound. Um, you never tape over um, a horse ass heart disease. Again, they can't handle that fluid movement. Um, never tape over cancer. The increased circulation can um, encourage that malignancy. Oh, I'm missing some. I know I am. You put me on the spot, Summer. Blood <laughs> <laughs> um, clots. Never tape a blood clot because the increase in the circulation can move that and then it can get lodged somewhere where you don't want it. Um, I think that's all of them. Wounds, kidney disease, heart failure, cancer, infection, and blood clots. Yeah, I believe that's mm -hmm. all of them. Well, and, and like with a wound, if it's um, if it's clotted and not bleeding, could you tape the edema around the wound? Or Absolutely, yes. And you can bandage, you know, if you're using different bandages, you can hold that bandage in place with the tape. Um, because it's flexible, but you just don't tape directly over that wound. But yeah, I like to get, as long as we know the infection is clear, um, and like you said, it's clotted, I want to get tape on there for the edema ASAP and get that, get the fluid dynamics going. Right. No, I, I agree with that completely. Well, and I feel like it, it like you said, it moves with the horse better. Um, so we had a horse that had had a facial surgery that came to us and she had two drain tubes um, in the front of her nose. And I found that it was a lot more effective than using Elasticon and it was more affordable. Um, yeah. but you know, it didn't bother her while she was eating. It didn't bother her in the stall. And so that's what we did to hold our packing material over our drains for about the first week. And, yeah. I, and I found that it works really, really well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, I, I know it's hard. Like, I know you have a lot of pictures on your Sozo Equine page, um, but can you kind of go through just a little bit on some of the different applications? You know, like, so we see some that have like a lot of like little tentacles and tons of little short lines that are running versus, you know, using like a four inch tape that's really wide. Um, if somebody was shopping for a practitioner, 
say at a show or something like that, um, you know, how would they be able to determine, I guess, whether or not that person is really, really qualified? Like, what would be some questions if I were to approach you at a show and say, hey, I, I'm interested in maybe having some taping done, um, you know, can you tell me what it can do for my horse? Yeah. So if you're just looking at an application, first thing I always look for is symmetry. And that's kind of, I say that, now I'm going to backtrack. If they have, again, if it's like an abscess, which you're not going to be competing on your horse, but, you know, if you have an edema application on the front left, but then you have support on the right to support the shoulder and the suspensory, that's different. That's not going to be symmetrical. But if your goal is to be symmetrical and you look at that application and it's not symmetrical, that's a problem. It should be taken off and redone. And so there's times that I'll see, um, you know, whether it's an SI or it's Fox or it's back, um, two different strips down the back. I want it to be symmetrical. So if I'm just looking at a random person, you know, at a show, looking to just see if they're qualified, I that application that should be symmetrical should be symmetrical. Um, mm-hmm. Something else is all the crazy tentacle things. Um, those a lot of times are for fascia. Um, they can be for edema as well. A lot of times in a lower leg, your edema applications will be vertical. So there's a bunch of tentacles but they are a lot of times vertical. Um, if you're trying to pull circulation down into the leg, you'll see those those tentacles crossing over each other and creating that diamond pattern. Um, a lot of times the, the braid looking ones or the, the bubbles or the, the wave looking ones, a lot of times those are addressing fascia. Um, anytime, of course, if it's on the hock, it's for the hock. If it's on the fetlock, it's for the fetlock. A lot of times the ones on the back are to help relax the back a lot of times we don't need encouragement for them to have um you know more tension in the back or more contraction of the back um a lot of times those long and i like to use the wide strips just and you know it it lines up more with the size of that muscle mm-hmm. um, pieces along the hamstrings i like to use the wider tapes as well um and so a lot of times the hamstrings are a relaxation application um, but I would just, if you're asking a practitioner, I would ask them to explain it to you, you know, explain to me what tape does explain to me, you know, what this application does compared to this application. Um, how much stretch is on it? Why is there that much stretch on it? Um, a, a practitioner should be able to explain to you what they're doing and why they're doing Well, why did you pull it this direction? Why is your recoil this direction? Why is your, um, so knowing why the tape goes where it goes in pulled, pulled in what direction. Um, knowledge of the anatomy as I could go down an eight hour rabbit trail on anatomy. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> if you're going to do anything on a being, you need to know the anatomy very well of that being. Um, so that's, that's something I like to ask people if I'm going to ask them to be a practitioner for me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I know we kind of touched on it a little bit. So you actually developed a um, training course for the taping, um, which we're actually fixing to have one in May um, here at Superior Therapy. And so so is that course designed for like the professional or is that something that horse owners can take as well? Like, do you feel like the education is there for the average horse owner to be able to effectively tape their horse? 
Yeah, so there there will be, today at noon, it goes live, <laughs> um, there will be a very basic course for people who are like, I just don't know about this stuff. I think I just want to, you know, give it a try. And so it is the horse lovers first aid class. And that will be, like I said, just for your basic horse lover who wants to know some very basic information about how the tape works. Um, and then four applications that you can just have in your arsenal for a basic injury, um, your basic abscess, um, your basic circulation application to the hoof. And so that is going to be for somebody who just wants to get their feet wet. The next level up is the fully online course. Um, it, it does go into a lot of science. It does go into a lot of anatomy. And I think your average horse owner can take it. It may be overwhelming because there is a lot of science. There is a lot of anatomy in there. Um, but to take your horse well, that's that's necessary to, to understand it. And you don't have to take the class and have it all the first time to be able to take. Um, continue to remain a student. Continue to look in those anatomy books. Continue to learn about the fascia. Um, and your applications will just be so much better. And when you have that information, you are you're much more confident with your applications. So it absolutely is for every horse owner if they want to do it. But like I said, it, it does have a lot of science and a lot of anatomy. Um, well, and like, and like one thing too, that like, I feel like people get defeated or they get, um, over overwhelmed or intimidated coming into a course. Like I, I have a lot of people that are, you know, apprehensive when they come in for a rehab therapist course. Um, you know, if they don't have a lot of detailed anatomy or knowledge, not, not even necessarily knowledge. You know, I always use myself as an example. Um, I, for whatever reason, have extremely poor memory. Like, you know, you can tell me something and I may have to go back and re-read re or re-listen to a conversation. Um, and so I, I'm a really great note taker because of that, because I have to, especially because I'm not an auditory learner. So I go through and I write notes on everything and then I go back and I revisit and so because of that, you know, I've been doing massage for 16 years and I still have my charts um, that I use every day in my office where if I get tripped up on something and I just don't remember, I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's why I have a chart for that. You know, that's why we have yeah. Google. And yeah. so, you know, like I feel like sometimes people get intimidated, especially the more they read on the Internet, because there's so many people that do have such an academic styled intelligence or an academic brain. My husband is one of those. He, yeah. he remembers everything and he will remember the most random facts about every movie, the most random fact about whatever thing. And I'm like, where do you store this stuff? Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like once he learns something, he never forgets it. And so yeah. And I'm like, okay, God didn't give me that gift. I, I was given yeah. a lot of gifts, but that wasn't one of them. Um, and, and so like, you know, that that's the thing that I always try to encourage people is, you know, you don't have to feel like you need to be on jeopardy, you know, like you yeah. don't have to file everything away because nowadays we have so much access to information, you know, don't, don't get defeated or don't think that you're not competent enough to, become a body worker or to become a practitioner just because maybe the, the academic portion is a little bit hard for you. Yeah. And even your horse owner that doesn't want to make it a profession. I mean, like I, to go back to that example, everybody's 
had that time where your horse was injured and you just go into this nosedive down Google because you want to learn everything you can to help your horse, mm-hmm. you're capable. You are 100% capable. And that's what, like you said, I don't want people to be intimidated that there's science and anatomy. You're 100% capable. And there's no test at the end. And if you fail it, I like kick you in the shin. There's nothing like that. And if I ask you something in the in-person class and you don't know, I'm going to tell you to Google it because not necessarily. I mean, I'll give you the answer. But if I ask you where something is specifically a muscle and anatomy and you don't know, I'm going to tell you to find it because I want you to be able to find it on your own and not just let me give you the answer. There's Google. Like you said, there's anatomy apps. There are things that are fingertips. Literally, we don't have to carry books around with us that make you 100% capable capable to learn how to care for your horse on your own. Not that you don't need professionals, but to for you to be able to care for your horse. And, and I think that's another thing that, you know, has just grown, grown with time is the amount of people that are like, okay, I want to learn how to stretch my horse. You know, like I teach, yeah. I teach my owners very basic, basic massage, you know, and I've done it on my Facebook lives. Like the, the type of massage that I'm doing on there, I call it my horseman's massage because you know, literally I don't name a muscle going through there. I, I just, we talk about areas of tension and how to work through that. And it's such a simple, um, simple version of it, but it is something that horse owners can do in between sessions with me or with, with another professional. Yeah. I feel like horse owners want to learn. They want to learn how to maintain their horse. Um, and, and they want to have the, get the most longevity out of their career. Yeah. I love giving myofascial techniques to my owners as well between, because like I said, if those long, slow holds, you just know where to put your hands. And again, I don't tell them the muscle name. I say, hold your hand right here, take a picture of it, put your hand right here, push with really soft pressure. I show them the pressure and they're always hundred percent capable. And they're always so much more happy. They're like, I did this five days this week and he's so much better. I'm like, yeah, because one massage isn't going to fix your problems. that has been going on for five years. So I love, again, giving people hope and empowering them with knowledge. Well, and the other thing too is the more you put your hands on your own horse, then you're going to start to notice what is the normal. And when it's like, oh, I picked up this right leg today and he didn't want to give it to me and he always does. Or, you know, I stretched my horse today and he really didn't want to do that. And so now you have a base point of, I know what is normal is. And now we're, we're fading into not normal. And, and I feel like that prevents you from having the um, train completely derail, you know, where yeah. you get to a catastrophic injury um, that has been slowly building over time. You know, that's one of the things that I, I try to really, really stress to my customers is, you know, very few things other than trauma of, you know, sticking a leg in a fence, having a trailer accident, you know, something that can't be avoided. You know, most of your soft tissue things slowly build over time. There's a misalignment in the feet. There's a misalignment in the body. And, you know, you have the person that ends up with a suspensory tear and they're just flabbergasted and have no idea how it happened. And most of the time there's been a compensation pattern that's been forming until the point that the body can take no more. Yeah. And like you were saying, having that good feel for your horse. Um, with your hands, you only develop that by having your hands on them, but also just simply riding your horse. I mean, riding your horse, you know, doesn't have to be every day, but regularly and 
making yourself cognizant of what they feel like because we can get on them and we can whatever make a few phone calls send a few texts while we're warming them up and then run through the motions and then be done but knowing what your horse should feel like when they feel good and then when a rider comes to me and says they just feel off that's valuable that's very Mm -hmm. valuable information for somebody to say I don't know what's wrong, but they just don't feel right. And you look at them and they don't look lame, but they're not right. I mean, that there's something going on at that point. And when, like you said, when you can catch that earlier rather than later, and you have an amazing knack for looking at horses move and seeing things. And so just to bring them to someone like you and say, watch this horse move, help me figure out what's going on. It's always better to be proactive. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, and well, in, in like, so growing up, I rode a lot alone. Um, you know, my, my grandpa taught me to ride and then his health, as he got older, his health got bad. And so um, most of my riding was alone unless I specifically hauled somewhere to ride with somebody. And so part of like my visual skills came from, I didn't have the person that I could say, hey, go trot this horse for me. And if you can't figure it out from on top of them, Okay, you step down on the ground and you assess that movement from the ground. And that's why I try to encourage people, put your horse on a lunge line and, and make sure they can go through every gate on a lunge line. Like you would be amazed at the amount of horses that we get here that, you know, you throw them a little bit of lunge line and they immediately want to run in a 15 yeah. foot circle around <laughs> you. And and so that's part of um, the thing. One of the things that I do is I try to train people of like, okay, when you've worked for a trainer or you're you're lunging a colt that isn't really broke yet or you're doing groundwork, what we do from a therapeutic standpoint is is different. We are assessing movement at each gate and how that horse is moving where a trainer's using a lunge line, you know, typically to either teach groundwork, um, you know, to make sure that you don't get bucked off um, or for exercise. Mm-hmm. And so you know, I want that slow movement and I want that correct movement. And so, you know, like I I teach my people like, Hey, let's go look at this horse outside. Because the other thing that I find is horses look very different under the weight of a rider or under, under your weight of your tack or how your tack fits. And so, you know, if I have a horse that has correct movement, um, whenever I'm looking at them on a lunge line and then you send that horse home and the rider gets on, they're like, oh my goodness, his head's high and he won't hold the lead. And I'm thinking, okay, he looked fine on our lunge line. Now I put my pieces of the puzzle together of, okay, I either have a weakness issue where this horse is having trouble with the weight, even if it's not a heavy rider, you know, the, the horse is having trouble adjusting to the weight or our tack doesn't fit. Yeah. Or we have a headgear issue sometimes as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to close down our second section here and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about where to find your courses, um, how to contact you and, and kind of a little bit about your business as well. So we will be back in just a minute. All righty. So we are back for our third section here. Um, and so Sierra, kind of tell me a little bit about your backstory of building your business. Um, you know, again, I'm always a huge fan of small businesses and supporting small businesses. And, you know, that's part of the reason that the development of our Learn Equine Therapy website started and in the association of, of certified equine therapies. You know, like I, I started to see 
the need for all of us instructors to try to work together because we all bring something interesting to the table. And I feel like people really, really enjoy learning. And yeah. so, um, you know, that was kind of how that our education stuff came into play was um, just the need to start connecting different professionals together, but then also different instructors. And so kind of take us through your journey of, you know, being a practitioner yourself and breaking into the horse industry and, you know, some of the struggles that come with building a business and then, you know, finding yourself and being able to instruct others. So my business was sort of a slow coming on thing. I, I just really wanted to play with horses and I wanted to treat them and I wanted them to feel better. And I wanted to, um, again, give people um, hope and empower them with knowledge. And so I decided, like, well, I guess this needs to be online since all of life is online now. And right. that was the worst part. I mean, to be really, really honest, technology is the worst part of a small business. And I've gotten so much better at navigating those waters. But, you know, I, you know, you don't have to have a website. You don't have to have a Facebook page. But those are all things I dreaded doing just because dealing with technology and what you think is a 30-minute job is actually a nine-hour job. Right. And it's worth it when it's done because you have that information available to people. You make yourself more available to people. Um, kind of silly, but quite honestly, my biggest struggle has just been technology. It's a real booger and probably somebody else wouldn't struggle the way I did. Um, but it's, you know, I don't have all the answers. I haven't, I haven't arrived. I'm still navigating the waters, but understanding the horse i don't think i ever will <laughs> i don't think anyone will ever have that mastered and so there are days i go home and i feel like wow oh, i made a huge difference today and you know that horse gave me really immediate results and then there are some days i go home and i'm like what am i doing like do i even know what i'm doing and i think that we all have those days where we just Absolutely. sort of doubt ourselves because we have a real a real tricky case that has us feeling like we don't know a darn thing because the horses aren't responding to anything we're doing. And so, or, or um, sometimes you do things and it goes backwards on you and you just didn't yeah. see, you didn't see that coming. And, you know, you can have all of the best intent and knowledge and, you know, you just, sometimes I think we put an unrealistic demand on ourselves um, that we, we've got to fix everything. Like we've got this knowledge and we know we're a great therapist, so we have to fix this. And sometimes it's just not that simple. Absolutely. And like you just said, unrealistic expectations, that's a real problem. I mean, that's a real challenge because you have these owners, like I said, this is an 18 year old real horse that hasn't been right for 13 years and they want you to come do a massage and they're like, why isn't my horse better? And so I always try to have really realistic, really honest conversations and say, you know, this is what's going on. It's going to take several sessions. It's going to take you doing a lot of work in between sessions and you're not ever, you're not going to get every horse completely sound. I mean, mm -hmm. I always joke, if you're putting a baby on it, you want them to have a little bit of lameness so it can't run off. <laughs> you, know? right. you know, you're, you're not going to fix every horse, but I think that realistic expectations um, from everybody gives you a lot better experience. And so that comes from educating owners, which I really love to do. And I really love what you guys are doing with the association because I love connecting with other professionals. There are people out there that are, know so much um, and just being able to connect with them and come and say, 
I, I don't have much to offer, but I'll tell you everything I got to offer, and I want to know everything you have to offer. Um, and just having this professional, um, you know, place that's a safe place where we can just bounce ideas off of each other. Not everybody agrees. Not everybody has the same philosophies. And I love that because it makes us better and it makes us do more research and it leads us to more research that needs to be done in the future. And so I really love what you guys are doing with the association. It's, it's needed and it's absolutely awesome. Well, and Um, that's where I talk a lot about building your toolbox. You know, there's something you'll take away from each, each person that you meet. Um, and, and like, I mean, that's just been the really fun thing about this journey, even for me is, you know, again, getting to connect with so many different people and it's just like, wow, like it is awesome what's out there. And, and and that's one thing that we want to do with the network is, is obviously have that, you know, encouragement, um, because I also feel like two people get online and they want to learn and get in some of these Facebook groups. And, you know, sometimes the people in there are extremely harsh and extremely brutal. Um, you know, and I kind of sit back and think, okay, I kind of feel like you have to have a certain degree of empathy to be a body worker, to like, to do what we do, to be kind of a, a servant minded person. And I'm like, some of these people I'm going, all right, well, um, I'm not sure the empathy is hundred percent there. Um, and so like, you know, that was kind of one of the things that I wanted to really be stern on with the network of like, Hey, we're not going to get on here and tear each other down. Um, you know, because again, you've heard me say in my lives, it's like, I think every piece of equipment has its proper indication and it, and it has its purpose. And I think every modality has its purpose and, um, you know, there's not just one fix-all, cure-all magic bullet. Yes. And to go back to those realistic expectations, our poor vets, <laughs> I think the demands that are placed on vets are insane. Um, you know, like I just make this appointment for 30 minutes and my horse should be fixed. I should be able to go compete this weekend. And so, again, it goes back to education. It goes back to empathy. Um educating owners on the, I mean, this is a living body, living tissue, and it takes time to make changes and it takes time to heal. And so I so appreciate our vets to, um, absolutely their, their role. Yeah. And the so, demand that's placed on them is so unrealistic because, oh, yeah. you know, and, and the other thing is a lot of times I feel like horse owners don't do their part. You know, they have a horse and they want to know why their hawk injections don't last a year, but their horse is out of shape, has been standing in the pasture all winter long. They drug this horse up and rode for two weeks and decided to go to the barrel race. Um, That's a big frustration for me is everybody can seemingly remember when their entries are due and they can always budget for how much it costs to be able to go to the barrel race with their friends, but they can't budget for therapies that their horse needs. Yes. Yeah. Um, And and so then, you know, like then they're mad at their vet. No, well, this didn't work. This didn't work. Well, okay. What did you do to help that process along? Um, And and usually the answer is nothing because I don't have time. (laughs) Yeah. And conditioning. I think you opened a can of worms there too, and I won't go down that trail. Yeah, that's probably its own podcast. in tip-top condition and I promise you that 
you'll have amazing benefits from it. I mean, if you don't have money for massages, you don't have money for anything else, make time to condition your horse. I don't care if it's only 45 minutes a day. Yeah, and and correct, so correct conditioning, you know, don't, exactly. if yeah. your horse can't hold a frame, getting on and long trotting for 45 minutes is going to build your cardio, but you're also yeah. going to end up with a really, really sore horse because you don't have that foundation there in the first place. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. Um, you know, some of the lack of knowledge that, that is out there. Um, but, you know, also feel like, too, that that's why we're here trying to educate and trying to bring that to light. Yeah. Again, thank you for what you're doing. The association and all your lives and everything you do superior. I mean, if people, it's getting to the point now that if people want to learn, it's available to them. It's getting to the point now with Google and everything that, of course, you have to spend money for specific classes. But there's so much available to you for free. It just takes time and effort and want to. Absolutely. Well, and like one of my favorite platforms, um, whenever I come in of an evening or like I need to decompress, like I am a huge TikTok watcher. Love yeah. it. And, you know, like I follow so many chiropractors on there and physical therapists and yoga instructors and um, like those people like that 30 seconds of a TikTok, you know, they give you a stretch that like I, there's a chiropractor on there that I follow that um, I can't remember his handle on there, but um, before I had my last surgery, you know, I was having so much trouble with the scar tissue and like all of my stretches were just not working. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I just don't have, like, I'm missing a piece here. And he, I, I, I'm sitting on TikTok and he had a version of the figure four stretch that I usually do laying on my back where he had the leg crossing in front and you did it laying down on the belly. And I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. And it was a game changer. And I was That's just awesome. like, 30 seconds on TikTok, I think just saved my life. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I just feel like there, there's an amazing amount of information out there, like you said, that is free. Yep. And quick, what you said on TikTok, you have no right people to follow. Absolutely. Um, so do you have like a favorite um, case study or like a favorite horse that you've worked on? You know, like tell us some of the stuff that you've seen in your practice at work. Hmm. Um, I always feel like there's that one that like really sticks out or, or sometimes it even yeah. is a one that one that you can't fix. You know, one of the stories yeah. that I tell um, frequently is, um, I had a son of bully bullion that I absolutely loved. Like I adored this horse. Um, and of course, naturally he was the most expensive horse I'd ever bought. And, you know, then just was kind of the pit of vet bills. And, yep. and he had what I know now was collateral ligament tears. Um, okay. I, I absolutely know that's what it was. Um, and of course paid for the MRI on him and it come back like inconclusive with possible soft tissue damage down in the hoof. And I'm thinking, well, we knew that yeah. <laughs> blocking told us that, but you know, it's like, I went through trying to figure out, and this was so long ago, you know, I went through the process of trying to figure out like what kind of shoe to put on this horse, what to do, um, you know, didn't keep him stalled up enough, didn't give this enough time to hit. Like I, I learned so much through that experience of that horse that I couldn't fix. 
Yes. You know, that's the situation with my mayor. Um, she kind of spurred, you know, I've always been fascinated with the body, always loved it. But then I had a mayor that injured herself. It was just it was a stormy night and the horses, you know, always lose their brains when it's storming and they run, kick and play. And she hit the brakes to stop and turn and it's been raining for like two weeks straight and mm. she didn't get hurt and crashed into the fence. And I, she was one I couldn't fix. And, you know, she's a broodmare now. She's making babies and they'll be beautiful babies that'll do amazing things. But the things I learned from grasping at straws for her were incredible. Yeah. Really, to go back to answer your question, I love the old horses. You know, the, the young performance horses are the ones I treat the most, but those old horses that have raised babies and, you know, mm-hmm. they're they're oh my gosh they're teaching their fifth kid how to ride and yes Yes. and they like i i swear they say thank you like they are the sweetest they are the most appreciative they're the most like their hearts are just pure gold and i i feel like we take such great care of them when they're performing so hard and then they're 26 and they're just raising a kid and they're just trotting the barrels and we think they don't need anything and so, not that that's a specific case, I have a specific red horse I'm picturing because he just gave me the biggest thank you. He's just the sweetest horse I think I've ever treated. But I really love the old horses. I love taking care of them. I love protecting that body that has served humans for 20 years. And so that's probably my favorite if I had to pick a favorite um, type of case. No, I, I agree with that completely. So where can people find you? Do you work at shows? Do you stay in just kind of your local area? Um, Of course, I know we talked about the courses. I know you're having them in different places as well. So um, yeah, I have worked a couple shows. Um, I wasn't successful with them. I don't know if I did them wrong or what, but I didn't end up doing much at the shows. So I don't do them much anymore. Um, I would love to work one. Um, with somebody who knows more than I do about working shows like, you know, Summer Terry and see see what she can teach me. Um, it goes, it goes I, back to that realistic expectations of, yeah. you know, okay, we can band-aid X, Y, and Z, but then you have exactly. to realize come Monday morning, we have to yeah. go back and we have to make a plan to move forward or this is going to end in a catastrophe. Um, it's a real... Yes. And, and it's a realistic, like, so when I used to work on people, um, you know, so I hauled for 12 years up and down the road um, doing shows, always wanted to get into the equine side of things. But to be honest, I stayed so busy with my human practice. There, there was not enough time nor energy or me left to grow the, the horse side of it. But, you know, that was the biggest thing is, you know, people would come and they'd run to the booth and they're like, you know, hey, I need you to unlock this shoulder because I've got to run, you know, three horses at blah, 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 blah. And and I was always very clear with them. I'm like, okay, you realize like we're not fixing this, right? Like, you know, I'm I'm going to get some range of motion in here. You're going to go run. Everything's going to contract. Your shoulder's not going to work again. We're going to ice. We're going to repeat tomorrow. And then again, when you go home, you need to find a body worker and get in there and get this thing conquered. Um, and so like, I feel like it's that, that setting realistic expectations or, you know, like the person that goes, oh, I had a PMF treatment done on my horse and, you know, like it just fixed everything. That's the best that horse ever worked. And I'm like, oh no, they didn't fix anything. What they did was they got rid of your secondary symptoms. Your root cause is still there. 
but your horse was able to perform closer to what they previously could. Like all that's going to come back. Don't be mad at your practitioner, but also feel like that's part of us as practitioners. We need to explain that. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing about shows. So like it's day three and I got to get to day five. Like put some, give me, wave your magic wand to get me to day five. So I don't necessarily like the settings of the shows, um, but thank goodness they're doing something to get to day five, I guess. Um, so yeah, because my, my thought is they're they're probably not going to scratch. They're going to run either way. So if I can help that horse, that that is how that is how I lay my head down at night with with my with a clear conscience is okay. You know they're they're going to run either way, and so we've got to just maintain what we can do while they're there. And then I just strongly encourage the okay. Let's circle the wagons when you get home. And education, like you said. Yes. So, um, so then, where do you work out of? Then, do you have a farm at home, or? I don't. I always travel to the horse. Okay. Um, and so I'm. I am out of Springfield, Missouri, but I I do travel pretty far. Um, I have a travel cost that's outside of my uh, my sixty mile radius, and I I'll travel wherever the horse is if somebody needs me. Um, but I do try to, I try to make connections with people in different areas, even if somebody accidentally stumbles on my website and say, you know, Hey, Gracie Ogle's in your area. Why don't you go to her? She's fabulous. I know that she'd do great with you. And so I do travel outside my area. Um, but I, I try to network and I try to, it's better for everybody. Um, you know, if the practitioner's closer in case there's something anyways, I, I try to network, but I do travel. I travel a lot for my classes. Um, right. And so I will travel pretty much anywhere for the class. And so I like to have a class size of six to travel. Um, and the that class includes an online portion that covers anatomy. And this is a taping class um, that covers anatomy. It's, it's not a college course. So it's not going to explain, you know, your epicondyles and everything. But it is right. anatomy of the skeleton, the muscles. Um, the fascia and some basics of the lymphatic system so that you can understand how to tape according to the lymphatic system. Then we go into um, science of the tape, and then there is a module on evaluation. Again, this is not a college course, but it is teaching you how to figure out what needs taped because just simply throwing tape on a horse um, isn't the answer. So really giving you all the tools to be able to tape appropriately. And then whenever you see me in person, we cover the taping applications. I do have a fully online option where the taping applications are in a video. You take the, that horse and then you send me videos to demonstrate your competency. So I have a fully online option. I have an in-person option and I do travel for those in-person taping classes. And so how long is the in-person portion? <sighs> I say eight hours. Okay. So it, so it's a one, it's a one day course though. Yes. Okay. If somebody knocks out of the park and they're done and sick, then, you know, peace out. And if somebody's really struggling, I mean, I'll stay there till 11 o'clock at night because I'm not going to send you home struggling. You know, if you're struggling with symmetry, you take it off and you redo it. Right. And so I don't, I don't just kick you out at eight hours. So I say eight hours, but yes, it is one day. Okay, perfect. Um, so where can they find um, your courses and things like that? Um, I know that when we kind of roll out the the new association website that's coming in the next few months um you know i hope to have them listed on there um where we can kind of help grow your network but 
for now, um, where do they find you on social media, website? Um, what's the best way to contact you? Um, my Facebook is my primary hub for information, um, and that is at Sozo Equine. And then I and that's am and that's S O Z O Equine. Yes, S O Z O Equine, and that is on Facebook. Um, my website is Sozo Equine Mo. So for Missouri, S O Z O Equine M O dot com. That is my website. Um, and then um, I don't actually have my my classes posted anywhere. I need to get them posted on my website. And normally people just contact me directly for information about those um, to get the date scheduled and the time and everything. But I am going to share the link to my classes today from my Facebook and I will make that an announcement so that it remains at the top of my page no matter when you visit my page. So um, my website, my Facebook and um, my website for my classes, which once you have access to the class, um, you just have that login to be able to have access to that website. Um, you contact me personally. I have people just call me. Um, my number is available on any of my websites, but it is 417-569-3651. Um, I text, I call, um, any way that you prefer to communicate. I'm happy to visit with you. Awesome. Well, thank you for being on the podcast today. Um, I really thank enjoyed you so much it. For and me. Yeah, absolutely. And I look forward to our class. So um, again, we our course is. Oh goodness, I didn't write the date down. May. Do you know? <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you know. Um, so yeah, May May seventh and eighth. Um, we will be having. So that will actually be two two classes. You can do one Correct. the seventh or the eighth. Um, and so that right here at Superior Therapy. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, I'm pretty certain our, we, we have an event for that. Yes. So you can find that event on, on Sierra's Facebook page. You can find it on the Superior Therapy LLC Facebook page. And you can also find it on the Association of Certified Equine Therapies Facebook. So um, it's, it's collaborated and running on all three pages. And so, um, yeah, well, I guess that wraps up this episode. And like I said, thank you. Thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Summer. And thank you for everything that you do. You put a lot of energy and time and effort into providing education to anybody who wants it. So thank you for everything that you do through period therapy and the Association of Certified Equine Therapies. It's really appreciated. Well, that's, you know, my, my goal is just trying to help the horses, help, help horses and, yeah. and help owners. And yeah. um, so as always, I'm Summer Terry and you can find me at superiortherapyllc.com, um, our learnequinetherapy.com website, and then you can also find us on Facebook. So thanks for tuning in, y'all. Happy trails. <laughs>